Hi, this is Michael, and you're listening to Soma's podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It's our vision as a church to help as many people come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. This podcast is a vehicle to further that vision. If the content has encouraged you in any way, we'd love to invite you to join us in helping us reach more people with the message of Jesus through this podcast and all that we do as a church. You can help by giving on our website at soma.church. We're in a series in the book of Mark called Kingdom Come, and the journey through Mark leads us up to Easter. If you're ever in the area on a Sunday, we'd love to host you. For more information about location and service times, you can visit us at soma.church. Enjoy the message. So today we're going to be in Mark 1, 16 through 20. At this pace, we're going to be through Mark. We're going to be in Mark for, you know, the next four years, but I promise you it'll speed up. So Mark 1, 16 through 20 is where we're going to be. Last week we talked about Jesus. He steps onto the scene and he says, the time has come. Your Bible may say the time is now. And he says, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Change your mind. Change your thinking. We talked about it being a time for prayer for us as a church, a time to be led by the Spirit, a time to share the good news of what Jesus has done in our life, and a time to change our minds and trust Jesus. And then Jesus, he begins to call his early followers in 16 through 20. And so let's pick up uh, right there in verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. We had gone a little farther. He saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. Growing up, if somebody would have asked me, hey, how would you label yourself? What, you know, how would you label your convictions or your faith? What does that look like? I would have said you probably would have too. I'm a Christian. That's what I would have said. I'm a Christian. And, uh, but for a broader culture, so many of us, like this term Christian has just become a label, just like I'm Republican or I'm Democrat or I'm vegan or I'm Latino or whatever. It just becomes like a little bubble that you fill in on whatever form to kind of like what religious affiliation, you know? And, and so broader culture, that's what it means. And it's this whole idea of like really kind of, you know, what do you believe or what do you mentally assent to? Like, I believe on Jesus, his life, his death, and resurrection. But in Scripture, what we see is something entirely different, the way that God frames it, the way that Jesus talks about it. The term Christian shows up three times in your Bible. The term disciple shows up 269 times. And so this whole idea of following Jesus is really what the, you, you actually hear me say it that way. If you want to become a follower of Jesus uh, because that's the way that he, he speaks about it in Scripture. And so it's not that I just agree that he is who he says he is, but the whole idea is to have your heart transformed by that belief to the point that you put your weight on it. Like I'm going all in with everything I'm handing, I'm surrendering. It means to align your life to that truth. And so by following Jesus, what happens is you begin to look like Jesus, which is really the whole goal, because God doesn't just desire to do a work for you to save you, to help you to experience heaven, but he desires to do a work through you and reach other people, serve other people with the truth of who he is. And so in the Western church, specifically here in America, and sadly, even more specifically here in the South, uh, we have this culture where you can become a Christian, but not a disciple. This whole cultural Christianity, 
where if I if you go to door to door and you ask people, hey, what do you believe? Who do you believe in? Uh, they may share that quote unquote conviction that they believe in Jesus, but maybe their life doesn't reflect it. And so uh, Jesus is savior. And yes, we should believe. And yes, we should like that's a key ingredient in all of it. But our belief should should lead us to a place where our life is transformed. He's also Lord of my life. So you also hear me say, hey, it, having Jesus as savior, believing in the grace that he offers and the good news and believing in forgiveness of sins and uh, it's heaven and all these things are amazing. But also he's Lord of your life, which means he calls the shots, which means when he asks you to do a thing, you do a thing. And so this is what we see in scripture. This is what it means to follow him. The good news isn't there for you to simply agree with it, but be transformed by it. And so disciples have, uh, they, they really have three goals is what we see biblically. Here's the three goals of disciples. Disciples of Jesus do these three things. One is they learn what Jesus said and did. They learn what Jesus said and did. So they spend time learning from Jesus. So again, you read your Bible, you spend time in scripture, spend time in quiet time, what he taught, how he lived, how he died, what resurrection means for you. And then the second is you become like Jesus. So now that I actually know what he's about, who he was, where he went, what he did, all that good stuff, now I can begin to kind of put that on and let God just transform my heart and my motivations behind what I say, think, and do. And then ultimately what happens is I begin to just do what Jesus tells me to. I begin to execute the vision that Jesus has for where I am. Because God has a call on your life. And there's things that God wants you to do that nobody else can do those things the way that you can do them. No one. No one can reach those people the way that you could reach them. No one can serve people the way that you can serve them. He, he crafted you. He created you uniquely to serve in that way. And so what it means to be a follower of Jesus is um, it, it's kind of like being a trainee or a pupil. One of my favorite leaders in the church, John Mark Comer, he calls it being an apprentice of Jesus. You're in apprenticeship with Jesus. That's what it means to be a follower of him. You're just, you're hanging out with Jesus and he's showing you how to do things and showing you what to say and what to think and where to go. And then you begin to put that on. Uh, and and what's, what's amazing is he, he teaches you what to do. He even explains to you why he approaches things the way that he approaches things. And then he, he gives you and I an opportunity to try that out in following him. And then as you mess it up and as you fail and you will, he gives you correction for that. Hey, this was great. Let's maybe don't say that next time. You know what I mean? <laughs> let's maybe don't do that that way. Let's, let's, let's prune some of these things, trim some of this fat. So he doesn't want to just serve you with the truth of who he is. And he doesn't want to just save you, but he wants to equip you to share the good news of who he is with others. And he wants you, just like he says in this passage in Mark 1, 16 through 20, he wants you to go and fish for people. He wants you to fish for people. And so here's what it takes in order to follow Jesus. And I got four points today. The first one is this. You have to be willing to drop everything to follow Jesus. You have to be willing to, to drop everything to follow. It doesn't mean you will drop everything. It just means you have to be willing to drop everything to follow Jesus. Mark 1, 18, it says, at once they left their nets and followed him. Your Bible may say immediately and Mark, refer, he uses this word immediately, at once. There's this urgency in the gospel of Mark, which is so great, over and over again. He just says, immediately. And then Mark 1.20, it says this, without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men 
and followed him. So you got to be willing to let go of things when you're following Christ. And, and it looks different for every single one of us. These disciples, they have no idea where Jesus is going, by the way. He just walks up. Middle, I mean, just, I, he's, they don't know this brother. He's just a rabbi. He comes up. He's son of God, so that's a big deal. But he walks up and he just says, follow me. And they're like, all right, cool. And they just leave their job, their vocation, their family. Like, and so it may not look like that for me and you. You may not have to give up your business like Andrew and Simon. You may not have to leave your dad in the boat like James and John. But you have, you're going to have to give up something to follow Jesus. Because the reason why is because so many of us, we're, we're doing things, spending time, headspace, energy, resources on things that are distractions. Some of things that are not bad things, but some of them are. Some of them are sin, and there's real pruning there where God desires for you to not miss the mark on his standard, his way of life, what he wants for you, for your marriage, for your family, for your impact and your influence. But some of it, it doesn't even have to be a sinful thing or a broken thing. It just maybe is not a God thing for your life. So it's don't take that job. Don't move there. Don't get in that relationship. Don't worry. And it's just a prompting and being led, a willingness to lay down my agenda and be led. Look at Matthew 16, 24. It says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. And so it might be your business like Peter. It might be your family like James and John. And when we read that, we're like, that's kind of jacked up. Why would you have to leave your family? That's so messed up. But I know people who feel compelled, called, or super passionate about certain places and spaces, certain people groups that they want to go and reach. And it's not that they've abdicated their responsibility or even their desire to be in relationship with mom and dad, sister, brother, whatever. It's just that, hey, I got a, I got a group of people over here that I got to go reach, that I got to go love on, I got to go serve, I got to go share the good news of who Jesus is. And so they'll literally just sell out and move to a different country, different place. And that may be you. You could be here today. I believe in a church like ours in this season, there's people that are called to do missions, international missions. There's people that are called to go reach whatever group that you're passionate about. I guarantee you there's someone in our church family who the calls on your life to be a missionary. For the majority of us, it, it doesn't look like that. It might look like something else. We've got to give up something, and our agenda is, is where we start. Um, and so it might be your budget. It might be your sexuality. It might be your five-year plan. You have a great five-year plan. Jesus has a better one. It might be your view of whatever. It might be your agenda. But the whole point is that everything in my life is at the disposal of Jesus. Um, a great example of like the opposite of the response of these early followers of Christ is in John, or excuse me, Mark chapter 10. In Mark chapter 10, uh, there's a story of a young influential leader. He has great means. Bible calls him rich young ruler. He's called by Jesus to follow him. He's really excited. He goes up, leans in. He's trying to follow Jesus. He wants to become uh, an apprentice. He wants to become a pupil of Jesus. And when he shows up and he says, hey, I'm, I'm in, Jesus looks at him and, and he says, hey, here's this thing in your life that you really struggle with, this thing in your life that really kind of lords over you. And I need you to let go of that if you want to become my follower. Look at this in Mark 10, 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, Go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And so this guy gets the exact same invitation as James and Peter and the rest. But it's not giving up the family business or relationship. It's giving up his wealth. And, and again, Jesus, this is a tailored experience to you. So it's not even like a, a universal, uh, you know, 
uh, command to, hey, you got to get rid of all your possessions and go and serve the poor. This is a, hey, what has your heart? What has your priority? What has like, what is that? That's the thing that Jesus desires. And so whatever that is for you, that's what you got to be willing to let go. Mark 10, 22, here's what happened. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And he went away. Like he decided not to follow Jesus. He basically told Jesus no. And then look at verse 28 of this same passage. Peter says this. After, after all this happened, here's what Peter says in verse 20. It's very on brand for Peter. Peter says this. We have left everything to follow you. Like he's just like, you know, he's just like, just a reminder. I'm awesome. Like we're great. And then, and then Jesus says this, truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields. And then he says this, nobody likes this part, along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Jesus says, listen, there is a cost, at least a perceived cost, to following me. I'm going to ask you to lay down some things. But as you lay those things down, he said, there's a greater return. The great exchange is me handing Jesus my agenda, and then he gives me over to his. That's the great exchange. And he says, hey, it's 100 times more than you could. It's exceedingly and abundantly more than you could ask or imagine. And so being invited by Jesus to be a follower of him is to be invited out of the mundane, out of the mediocre, out of the autopilot that so many of us, so many of us are just like on autopilot. And he's like, let me help you come alive a little bit. Let me help you to experience the kingdom of God. Not a church service, not a program, not even an, organi uh, an organization, but I want you to experience the kingdom. Like I want you to experience everything flipped upside down. I want you to come alive with that realization. Uh, Moving out of what is counterfeit reality into what is real. That's what he wants for us. And the kingdom of God feels so backwards because it's truth. And so much of what we learn in broader culture is we just buy the lie, like on a, on a regular basis. So when Jesus gives us a command or gives, Jesus gives us a truth in scripture, it feels upside down. The reason why it feels upside down is because it's the opposite of what everybody's telling us to do. Things like love your enemy. Things like pray for those who persecute you. Things like, hey, if someone, if someone needs your shirt, give me your jacket. Give me everything you got. Like just love and serve people feel so countercultural. And so, uh, and, and the reason why is because there's this invitation to follow is really an invitation into something greater. And so here's the question for us to jump off today. What is a thing that you know God is asking you to give up in order to follow Jesus? And maybe there's things you're like, I already gave it up. It's like, well, there's more. Okay. <laughs> and what are the things that I just know God's asking me? Like, what are the areas I got to prune? What are the, what's the areas that I just feel like the Holy Spirit's telling me, hey, that's not, that's not what I want for your life. I want this over here for your life. And here's an even better question. What do you have to give up if you don't follow Jesus? Because again, the thought is, man, I got, there's a cost to following him. And biblically, there's an even greater cost to not following him is what he's trying to teach us. So Simon and Andrew in Mark chapter 1, they, they leave everything and follow Jesus. Rich young ruler in Mark 10, he doesn't. And, and Simon and Andrew, we're talking about them today, a couple thousand years removed. 
the globe over, everybody knows the story of who these brothers are. And nobody knows the name of the rich young ruler. Let it sit. And so, so like, there's a perceived cost to following Jesus. There's an even greater one to not following him. And so you might have to give up the job opportunity that you thought you wanted. But if you would have taken it, what else would you have missed out on that Jesus wanted for you? Because, again, it's not even about sinful things. It's just, God, what do you want me to do with my time? What do you want me to do with this relationship? What do you want me to do with my resources? What do you want me to do with my gifts? What do you want me to do with my finances? What do you want me to do? Like, let him lord over your life. Again, not just Savior, but lord over your life. That's the whole goal. You have to give up some things to follow Jesus. You have to give up even more to not follow him. And so you got to be willing to let, let go of control. And, okay, God, I want your agenda, not mine. Second thing is this. You have to be in community to follow Jesus. There is no way. You can't follow Jesus in isolation. You can't follow Jesus alone. It's not in here. And nobody can do it. Uh, it's, it's too hard. It's too great of a task. And, and, and I need Jesus to become who it is that he wants me to become. But also, and here's the, here's the cool thing about the way he works, I need other people in my life that, that he brings along in order for me to become who he wants me to become. Mark 1, 16 and 19. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, a couple brothers. Look at verse 19. When he'd gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. There's another couple brothers here at the, in verse 19. And the thing I love about this passage is it's just a reminder. And, and a lot of the early followers of Jesus, another example would be Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He's always called, like the core of his discipleship are people who are siblings, familial life, people who have had this shared experience. And here's the reason why I think that is. This is Mark 3, verse 30, 31 through 35. It says, then Jesus' mothers and brothers arrived. They're standing outside. They sent someone to call him. And so uh, one of his followers went up, and they told him, hey, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. And then Jesus looks at him and says, Who are my mothers and, who's my mother and my brothers? And everybody's like, what? And then he's teaching him. He says, and he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister, and my mother. And so together, the early followers of Jesus were, were these sibling groups, right? And, and the whole idea, I think the point that he's trying to play on is like you can't follow Jesus alone. You can't become a disciple of Jesus in isolation, and you need a people to call family. And so Jesus redirects like physical family, kind of biological family reference to say, hey, yes, I have that, but also here's my family, and I don't know, here's my experience. I spend more time, I spend, I, I spend more time with spiritual family than I do even physical family. And I love my physical family. But just God gives us, as a, as a believer, as a follower of him, he gives us a community of faith. He gives us a group of people that we can be rooted in, that we can be in relationship with, that we can pursue him, that show up in the middle of the night, that are praying for us, that know the hard things that we're navigating and going through. This is his desire for our life. And so for many of us, it's the opposite of our experience. For many of us, it's just between me and God. I don't want to, I ain't letting nobody in on my junk. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're good. I pray, okay? Like, I have my own little Bible study, and we're all right. We're, we're doing, I mean, I go to church, and okay? But I'm not about to let anybody in. And so I'm, I'm going to deal with my stuff. I'm going to work out my deal, except there's no biblical precedent for that. None. 
We don't have one story of Jesus alone with a disciple in the New Testament. Let that sit. Just let it sit. And so it, it doesn't exist in the account of his life. There's always uh, more than one person present, always a community. And so I want you to think about the type of community that Jesus is assembling too, because the thought is, well, I got to have people. I just haven't found my people. Haven't found my people. Haven't found my people in my season of life. Haven't found my people who look like me, who like the same sports teams I like. You know what I mean? I haven't found people who eat what I eat or whatever. Uh, and, but here's the team that Jesus assembles. He has a zealot, like a brother who's ready to stab somebody, stab like a Roman, you know what I mean, for the Jewish faith and cause. Like he's just after it. He's militant. And then right next to a guy who has sold his soul, right, and sold out his family to make money on the Jewish community by the Roman guy. He's a tax collector. He's got both those brothers on the same team. You know what I mean? And he's like, also, fishermen, you guys are dumb, whatever. Like, get in here. Like, he's just he's like a motley crew of, like, guys. The only thing that they hold in common, the only thing that they have in common, at, other than being led by Jesus, is that they just don't like each other. That's the only thing that they hold in common. And so, but what happens is, is they follow Jesus. All the things that used to divide them, all the things that used to keep them from loving and serving one another or caring for one another, begins to be stripped away and now all of a sudden like an uncommon unity found in Jesus is the thing that they're all about and it, and it just gives way to a family who otherwise would not be a family this is God's desire for you this is God's desire for the church this is God's desire for kingdom to have such a diverse landscape that people on the outside step in and go what is that like why are they hanging out what does that even look like? But you need a family. You need a people to call family. And so the kingdom of God becomes this incredible, incredible community. It becomes a family tighter than blood. And, and Jesus is always in community. And again, this is what it means to be a disciple. We're paying attention to what Jesus said, what Jesus did. And then we're modeling that. We're emulating that. If we want to follow Jesus, we have to do what he did. And so here's my call for everybody who's here at Soma is you need biblical community. And, and it's not about a program. Please hear me. It's not about a program because the thought is, bro, if you talk to me about groups one more time, I am going to slap you, right? So it's like I'm so tired of the commercial. But it's like this is our vehicle that we have for people to, like, meet people and connect and realize, oh, oh, you like Jesus? I like Jesus. Cool. You eat food? I like food. I listen to music as well. You know what I mean? Like, I, like whatever the things are, common denominators. Would you get together with people and you realize I'm not doing this alone? Somebody knows my name, somebody's praying for me, and then you begin to navigate the hard things of life together. You have to have it. And some of you are here and you're like, I got my people. I got people. I'm good. I don't need the thing. I don't need the thing. I got my people. But, and, and you might have people who, like you, would check the little box that says, I'm a Christian. But do you do it with intentionality? Do you meet with those people and pray? Do they help you to, to, to become more like Jesus? Is there is a real intentionality with those gatherings as you're like, hey, what are the things I can be praying for? What's the things that God's teaching you? What are the things that like, because you need some people in your life who can encourage you. You need some people in your life, honestly, who can challenge you. We hate that. So good for my soul. Mm. So we, we need some people in our life who can help us to like, when, when, when everything is broken and everything is falling apart, some people that you can call and they're like, I got you. I got you. 
people who can, and, and, and you're thinking, well, I got my high school friends or I got my college buddies. or what, like, I'm talking about shared conviction, shared faith, pursuing the way of Jesus together. You need that. And it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't, I mean, it's, it's, it's this beautiful thing that God offers us. And so where is that intentionality uh, in your life? What does that look like for you? I've learned more from fellow followers of Jesus than I ever have in any book outside of Scripture, any program, any conference, any whatever, more from the people that God brings around me than anybody else. And also my faith is stirred. So you need each other. You need each other. Brooke and I, were part of this small group, uh, we, um, several that, that are here at Soma, and, and we do this, this married group that we're a part of. And the beautiful thing about this married group is it's like a diverse landscape in this married group. People that haven't been married that long, people that have been married for decades, people that don't have kids, people that have kids, people that just different seasons of life. And we're all kind of talking around this same topic of marriage. And we're having conversations like about communication and how men and women communicate differently, which is like amazing to have like other dudes in the room be like, yeah. And, and sometimes... You know, like, I'm not a great listener. And sometimes I just, like, wanted to talk in bullet points. And I'm like, thank you. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we were just kind of like, we're there for one another. And, uh, and, and we were in group this past week. And we were just talking. This is the kind of content. This is, like, the kind of group that, that you want. Like, we're, we're talking about just, like, date night stories and all this kind of stuff. And there was one couple uh, who was sharing this story about premarital counseling. And they were just like, hey, one of the, I mean, we're talking about conflict in our group. And they were like, premarital counseling? Yeah, the guy told us, like, hey, anytime you have a fight, anytime you're in conflict, here's how you fix that. And they're like, okay, cool. They're, like, taking notes. He's like, just get naked. And, uh, and they were like, and we were like, that's horrible advice. And I'm like, that's brilliant advice. And so I'm, like, I'm about to just roll that into every premarital counseling that I do. And then Brooke says, Brooke says uh, if that were the case, I would always get my way. And then I said, that's why we have five kids, right? So it's like, that's, this is the kind of things we're talking about. In groups, but you need you need a group of people who can who can have conversations with you about what it means to follow Jesus. What are the things I'm working on? What are the things He's teaching me? Because the reality is, is somebody else is better than you in some area. It can help you in some area, and and none of us have arrived. All of us are following, and and you have to do it together. Again, I know I know we're Americans, and I know we like everything to be just like me, myself, and I, and we're pretty independent, all that kind of stuff. But it's just, there's no way to follow him in isolation. You need people. And so I'm, I can't encourage you enough, get plugged into, to get plugged into community. Again, our vehicle for that as a church is small groups. Pray about it. Drag your spouse there if you got to. Get plugged in. Meet some people. You need a family, people who can encourage you, challenge you, help you focus, help you carry things that are heavy, all of that. And so here's the third thing. Um, it takes time to become like Jesus. This is probably the most encouraging thing I'm going to tell you today. This is my favorite point, actually, <laughs> is that it's a process to become like Jesus. So, much, so many of us are frustrated when we come to faith in Christ, we experience salvation, and then we don't look like Jesus the next day. We're like, oh, like because we have in mind the type of person that we want to be. And then we do something, say something, think something. We're like, man, I've been doing this for long enough. You would think I would have this under control. Look at this. This is Mark 1, 17, going back to that same passage. Jesus says, he said, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. But if you look at the, if you look at the original language of this passage, like the way it was originally framed, 
uh, it, it would say this. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Huge difference. I will make you become. And this is what it means to follow Jesus. You become. That's, that's the whole, that's, that's the goal. It's a process. And so, so many of us were focused on a destination instead of what it takes in order to get there. And you will always be frustrated in your faith, in being led by Jesus. It's a daily practice too. It's a whatever is my next step. It's the what's the thing you want me to do next and focusing more on a process than a destination. Listen to this. This is a great a quote by the great theologian Nick Saban. Okay. It says this. It's the journey that's important. You can't worry about the end results. It's about focusing on what you can control every minute of every day. And, and he's famous for saying, hey, it's a process. You got to trust the process. It's a process. People are asking him about wins and losses and championships. He's like, practice. That's what I'm focused on, right? And so, and it seems to be working for football. What works there, also, I think Jesus is reinforcing this idea of what it means to be a disciple is about not focusing on some end goal, but on being led by Jesus every day. What's my next step? You have a next step. What is the master telling you? Hey, again, you're in apprenticeship. You're a pupil. You're a trainee. What do you want me to do next? What do I need to work on? Where, where, can, I, where can I prune? What needs to happen? And so, and what happens over time is we become more like the teacher. And this is an encouragement to me because if you read the gospels, like if you read Mark, first half of Mark, all the disciples do, all the followers of Jesus do is just like, they're really like, they just say dumb junk. And they just like, literally that's the majority of what happens in, in the first half They they just, um, they're both, a, they're both a good example and a bad example of what to do. Good example in the sense that they go all in and they lead, they throw down the nets and they leave their dad behind in the boat and they're willing to forsake everything to follow Jesus. Bad examples in the sense that much of what they do, especially early on is pretty dumb. It's an encouragement to me. I think it's supposed to be an encouragement to you because this is what it means to follow Jesus is like, you're going to, you're going to work it out and you're not going to get it right all the time. Um, have you ever felt dumb following Jesus? I have like, have you ever felt like, I don't know what to say right now. I know I'm supposed to say something. I know, I know I'm supposed to like have empathy in this moment. I don't really know. Like, I know I'm supposed to, I know I'm supposed to think something, supposed to do something right here. I don't really, have you ever felt dumb in following? Have you ever felt tripped up by your own agenda? Maybe you struggle like I do with pride or selfishness, the human condition by your, do you get tripped up by your own ego? You get tripped up uh, by fear. Look at Mark 14. This is crazy. Mark 14, 48 through uh, 50. So the disciples have been living with Jesus full time for three years, been following Jesus. They've seen every miracle. They've seen this brother resurrect people from the dead. They've seen food multiply. They've seen miracle after miracle, crazy teaching. All of this leads up to hours before the death of Christ. They're in the garden. They're praying. Jesus is arrested. Here's what happens. As he's arrested, Jesus says, am I leading a rebellion that you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts and you did not arrest me. But the time has come. So then listen to this. But the scripture must be fulfilled. And then look at this part. I love this part. 
Everyone deserted him and fled. All of them. Every single follower of his left him. After living with him for three years, listening to him teach, watching him heal, watching him minister, watching people like literally, and and then every single one of them leave in this moment. And so it's such an encouragement to me because sometimes, and maybe you're there as well, I feel I ask myself this question, man, is the cost too high? Like, is this worth it? Like the things that I have to let go of in order to grab hold of more, is it worth is it worth the cost? Have you ever failed Jesus? Have you ever left him? Have you ever quit on him? And not even in all things, but maybe just a few things, or maybe one particular thing, you were just like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. You can't, I'm not dealing with that. You can you can do all the other things, you just not not that. And so Here's, here's what he's teaching us in this passage. This whole idea that it's a process to look more like Jesus. And here's the encouraging part. The same, here's what the Bible tells us. The same spirit of God who resurrected Jesus from the dead is alive inside of you and in li- alive inside of me. And even when my flesh doesn't want to, which is on a regular basis, I can appeal to the spirit, man. I can, just, I can appeal to the God inside of me and I can begin to do things like pray. And I can begin to do things like spend time reminding myself of God's promises. And I can invite, again, the reason why you need a biblical community is I can invite other people into my life to build some accountability, to build, like, to challenge me in some areas, to encourage me where I need encouragement. Some of you just need straight up encouragement. You just need somebody to sit down, to joke with you, to love on you, to give you a big hug. And just like, like you need all those things. And, and, and it's a process to become more of who it is that he wants us to become. And here's the fourth thing. Followers of Jesus make more followers of Jesus. This is the way God designed it. Mark 1, 17. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out. I will send you out. Mark 16, he says this in verse 15. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Not part of it. Not a chosen few not a whatever, like everybody go everywhere and preach this good news of who Jesus is going to the entire world. Matthew account, it it reads it a little bit different. He says, make disciples of all nations, make followers of Jesus. And I would argue this is what Mark means. Whenever he says, make followers, what he means is go and share the good news of who Jesus is with everybody that you can. Again, back to last week. Here's, here's how you do this. You pray. God, do the things that I can't do in my own strength because I can't do them. You're led by the Spirit. Would you give me application for what you've already said? When, it's, when the time is right and I've got that neighbor, that coworker, I've got that friend, I've got people who desperately need what I have in Christ, would you give me the boldness of faith to be able to share the good news with them? And ongoing, would you help me to change my mind and trust you more with my life? So that not only do I preach a great message with my mouth, but with my very, just who I am. And that's how we make disciples. You don't actually, when the Bible tells us, it's, it's like an overwhelming command when, it, when you read the Great Commission and it's like, go and make disciples. It's like, because like the thought is, man, I don't, 
like, when do we do that? How do we do that? And it's not so much about you making disciples as it is. You, it's, it's more evangelism and it's more you sharing the hope of Christ with people, everybody you come into contact with, teaching them what you know, not pretending to teach them what you don't know, just teaching them what you know. Here's what God's done in my life. Here's what he's taught me. Here's what I know. I'm emptying my cup. I'm not trying to fill yours. I'm just telling you what God's done in my life. Because ultimately, here's the thing. As we become a follower of Jesus, I'm not discipled. Like the, disciple is a noun in the Bible. It's not a verb. So I'm not discipling you. Like I'm, dis, Disciples are what we become as we follow Jesus. And guess what? As, as spiritual as you are, as amazing as you are, oh man, you know your Bible backwards and forwards. You got all that. You're not my mark. Jesus is who we're supposed to become. And I love every spiritual mentor in my life. Man, I've got people of great faith who I look up to, who I love, who I model so much after. But at the end of the day, they are not Jesus. And if you put somebody in a place, if you put someone in that place of Jesus in your life, who you're trying to model everything after and you're trying to follow them and, you, and then they fail and then you're let down because your spouse failed you, because your pastor failed you, because a spiritual mentor in your life failed you, because your small group, because somebody failed you, it's like, well, you had them on a pedestal that they were not meant to be on. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. And this is the exercise that we're in as a community of faith. This is what we're about. This is where we're going. It's not following the person next to you. It's not following some celebrity preacher. It's, not fo it's following Jesus. We're following Jesus. And so, in, and the way that we do that is we got to be willing to let everything go. We got to lay it all down. I got to be in a community of faith. I cannot do this. It's too hard of an assignment to do it by myself. I got to realize I'm in process. Becoming like Jesus, being led by Jesus, it is a process, which is it, it, two things. It helps me to focus on what's, what are the controlled variables that I have? What are the things that I'm in charge of? What are the things that I've been entrusted with? My time, the people around me, the opportunities, all of that. Like, just really paying attention and going, you know what? I'm just going to try and become more like Jesus in this area. God, would you teach me? Jesus, would you show me in your word? Holy Spirit, would you give me application for that? Help me to put it on. Help me to become more like him. Because ultimately, when we do that, what happens is you and I begin to bear fruit and people around you begin to look more like Jesus because you look more like Jesus. You know the story of our church. You know how people, when, when people get baptized, you know the people that are being baptized are being baptized a lot of times by people who were baptized like a year ago, two years ago. And then they brought their neighbor, they brought their buddy from the gym, or, or they're, you know, hey, we're on a team together at this school, and now they're baptizing one another. Like, that is what God is about. Like, God transformed me more into the image of Christ. Why? Because you don't just desire for me to experience salvation, for me to experience eternity, but the people around me, you really want, you want them in heaven just as much as you want me in heaven. That's how much it matters that we follow him because uh, lives are at stake. Eternity is at stake. And like time is short. Let's get after it. Like let's build. He, he starts off. He sets, he jumps onto the scene and says, the time is now. Please stop playing games. Now's the time. 
Now's the time for you to follow him. So be thinking about that, praying. Just say, Holy Spirit, what are the, what are the areas that I need to just hand over my agenda? There's some things that I'm holding on to. Are, is there really anybody that's walking alongside of me, praying with me, that know me, that are helping me become more like you? Not that they've arrived. They haven't arrived. We just The only way to do it is together. And then, God, what's my next step as I become more like you? It's a process. What's the next thing that you want me to do? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for this message. Thank you for this series, for the, the gospel of Mark, and grateful for a God who loves us so much. You don't just tell us a good word, you become it. And then you instruct us and you teach us and you lead us and you guide us. We have a great comforter in the Holy Spirit. We have, Jesus, we have your very spirit inside of us, God. And, and where we fall short, and we will, you are able to meet all of our needs, to teach us, to guide us and direct us. In this season, would you help us to become, as a family, as a church family, more like you? God, right now, would you just speak to people in the areas of our, their lives that they know that they need to address certain things? Here's some things that I just know God's asking me to deal with. Some areas of my life I know I've missed the mark. Some pruning. Or even, uh, even an opportunity. It doesn't even have to be a sin. Just an opportunity that I've just kind of, I've been praying about, wrestling with. And God, would you just give me real direction for the things you want me to do? God, how do you want me to spend my money? How do you want me to spend my time? Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to serve? Holy Spirit, would you just lift my head? So, God, would you give us your vision, your eyes to see, your ears to hear, all the opportunities there are every single day to follow you. Help us to be a people whose speech is just marked by encouragement and love for the people around us. Help us to just lift the room when we walk into it. Jesus, would you just make us so much like you that people are drawn to us so that we can just redirect all that energy and just share the good news of who you are. Here's what he's done in my life. If you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, you've made him Savior, never made him Lord, an opportunity for you to go all in, put your full weight on it, and say, I'm tired of playing church. I'm tired of just checking boxes that say I'm a Christian. I want to become a follower of Jesus. If that's you today with all of our heads bowed in the room, would you just lift your hand and say, that's for me. I desperately need that message. I want to surrender my life to Christ. I want to go all in. Amen. Is there anybody else? Amen. Anybody? That's awesome. Yeah, right where you're at, just pray this prayer. Just say, Jesus, I'm sorry I made it about me, my agenda, my desires. God, give me more of you. Give me over to what you want for me. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your resurrection. Thank you for the hope of heaven that I now have, not because of what I've done, but because of what you've done in my place. God, everything necessary for salvation, you've already done it. My moment, this moment of surrender is just to come in alignment. Just say, you have it all. You have my life. And so would you lead me in what that looks like? Would you guide me? You're so gentle. God, you're so patient. You're so full of grace. Would you just guide me through that to become more like you? And then give me a heart for others. 
so that I can help them to come into this same moment that I'm experiencing right now where I'm broken at the end of myself in surrender, desperate need, in desperate need of what you have to offer me. And I know there's so many other people that need that moment. So God, would you help me to become more like you so that I can love and serve people well? God, thank you for your word. Thank you for today. And God, help us to follow you closer. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.